Well, good morning. Uh, look forward to seeing you soon. Yeah, great, great comments. I've got a, an announcement for you. Uh, we have firmed up that October the 31st, uh, so just a few weeks away now, we will regather as church. Uh, we'll finally have church back on uh, morning and night and we look forward to uh, that whole event and experience together. Finally, it'll be now quite a journey. Uh, there'll be all kinds of things to work out, as you'll have heard me uh, and others mention at other times. But we'll work it out and we'll find a way. So uh, look forward to that. In fact, um, such significant things happening. Of course, we keep bringing all of this to God in prayer. Let's do that now. Heavenly Father, we do ask, please, that you might enable your church to regather. That you might help us again to be uh, with one another. Uh, that we can stir one another on to love and good deeds. Please let us be able to meet together again. And we pray now that as we continue in this kind of uh, disembodied, distant experience through the stream, that please you would bless even this time, that you would cause your word to be a lamp to our feet, that you would transform and change us as we think about the great things you have given us in your word. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, we do start a new series today. We start a new series in the book of Hebrews. Uh, I love the book of Hebrews. It's a great book. It's a deep book, as you've just heard. Uh, we've only, we're only going to be looking at the first four verses. In fact, the only first three verses of this book. It's so rich. Now, if you've never read the Bible before, uh, and many adults have never read the book as Bible as an adult, uh, so if that is you, uh, look, wonderful you're tuning in. Can I encourage you to grab a Bible, grab a modern translation at least, grab one that's got not these and thous and so on, so you at least follow through, and read it. Use the last hours of lockdown, I think tomorrow, to very, midnight tonight, lockdown ends. Uh, use the last few hours locked in your house to read this book, to read the Bible, to read the Gospels. And I want to promise you, it will surprise you. When I first read the Bible as an adult, I was shocked. I thought it was a bunch of pithy sayings all the way through it, like Proverbs constantly peppered around the place. But what it told me about was reality. It told me about myself. It actually helped me come in contact with God. It showed me historical things that were mind-blowing. It will take you out of yourself. It is life-changing. So I'd urge you to actually use these last few hours to get yourself into it. Hebrews is going to be all of that. In fact, <clears throat> the first few lines of this new book are so so rich and mind-blowing. As I say, we're only going to focus on just the first three verses. Hebrews is, in fact, uh, a an ancient sermon. You get that from the very end of the, the uh, piece of writing. It's called uh, a word of exhortation, which is a way of talking about an, a, a preacher. Uh, we have a transcript in this book of Hebrews of an ancient sermon, um, which is part of the great variety of the Bible. Again, if you're new to the things of the Christian faith, new to the Bible, um, I, I just offer this observation. Um, the Bible isn't one book like the Book of Mormon written by one author. The Bible is a collection of 66 different books, independent of each other, that have been collected together, written over a period of 1,300 years by 40 different authors in all kinds of different cultural contexts. It's a great, extraordinary collection of books, and they're very different kinds of writings. So last term... Uh, we were looking at a couple of history books, how uh, the Bible has a series of books that just record historical events, take you through uh, nations, but also families. Uh, extraordinary things we looked at last term. This term, we're looking at the transcript of an ancient sermon, which is itself is actually just incidentally interesting to note. 
This is 13 chapters. Sit down and have a read of it. How long do you think it would take you to read it through? This is not an 18-minute sermon, just to draw that to your attention. If you went back to the early church and heard the early preaching, this is what you would have got. Now, I don't know if that's an encouragement or not, but it actually says what kind of church cultural... If we want to get back to the first century church culture, this is what we're going back to. Um, thumb through it, it's an extraordinary thing. It's meaty. This preacher expected his listeners to think... Do you know Christianity is about thinking? Well, it's not about thinking, it's about Jesus, but it's about um, bringing a mind to bear on these great things of God, not just throwing your head out of the, your brain out. Uh, it's meaty. But here's the thing of those 66 books over all those centuries by those many different authors, they're all saying the same thing. There's a great unity of thought that runs from every book all the way through. And you wonder how it could be. 40 different authors over 1,300 years. It, it feels like there's just one author, which I dare say there is. God himself is authored. It's a miracle, this thing called the Bible. Let me anticipate where the book of Hebrews is going to take us over the next term. The whole book, this sermon, was preached to a group of Christians who were in danger of giving up the faith. They were in danger because they were suffering real persecution. Uh, back in this particular time to be a follower of Jesus uh, and these were likely Jewish converts to the Christian faith to remain as a Christian in that cultural context cost you dearly we talk about persecution today but we've got nothing compared to what they had back then and you, you, you there would have been real pressure to give up and go back for them to go back to Judaism which was a protected religion back in their time to go back and find something safe real pressure you think for a moment why should someone stick at Christianity what do you think you would say to someone who's struggling to continue on as a Christian because it's costing them so much why would you continue as a Christian even though you lost your house your job your health everything was taken because you are a Christian why would you continue it is worth just pausing and reflecting on that in fact you might want to push pause now make sure you come back on but push pause and talk as a family why, why would you continue as a Christian when you lost everything because of it well that's what this sermon is about why why it matters to continue which actually speaks to those who are not yet Christians about why being a Christian matters so much we're in for a great feast over these next weeks together and as I say today we're just going to start with the first three verses which really is probably only the first 30 seconds of this sermon uh, it is rich and deep the preacher just he, he landed deep and continued to press these people forward let me suggest these three verses uh, three things will come out of it for us now they build the third one is where it all lands the first two kind of prepare the way but the the third one is where it lands. Let me give you the first one. It is this. That God has spoken. God has spoken. He is not silent, absent or distant. He has spoken. In these few verses here, you'll see this idea of God speaking used a number of times. And it's the kind of, <clears throat> it's the drumbeat that sits behind the main point. It's not the main point. Well, it is kind of, but it's, it's the drumbeat that sits behind it. Look at me, take me, take you through it. Verse 1. In the past, God spoke. 
to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. Do you notice that the idea of God speaking is repeated there? It's a fairly straightforward thing, verse 1 and verse 2. Uh, to, in the past, he spoke. In these last days, he has spoken by his son. Now, what follows in the next couple of verses there, the second half of verse 2, 3 and 4, is really an explanation of who the son is. So it doesn't, it doesn't sort of take us further beyond this idea of God having spoken. It just fills out what he said, if you like. Um, now, this, this is what I'm doing here is just trying to get into the mind of the ancient preacher to see what's the point he's making. And repetition is one of those key ways to make sense of it. In the past, God spoke, but in these last days, he has spoken. Speaking is what this author wants us to get hold of, that God is a God who speaks. Now, the reason I point this out, because it is a foundational idea. As I say, it's the kind of the drumbeat behind... Uh, the main, the big idea, the, the, the foreground, the big important idea. Beneath that is this drumbeat that God is a God who speaks. Now we're going to get into the big idea in a moment, but just stick with this speaking piece. Ponder it with me. Pause again on it. It is one of the key drivers all the way through the book that God has spoken. In fact, come with me all the way to chapter 12, towards the end of his sermon. Chapter 12, verse 25. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn from him who warns us from heaven? See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. All the way at the beginning and the end, God speaks. All the way through this sermon, he'll talk about God as the God who speaks. You see, the idea that God has spoken is huge. You know, it speaks to one of those most often used critiques of God. You may have uh, found yourself thinking like this. People kind of uh, often bring a, a critique, a complaint of God that, um, you know, the reason I'm staying aloof from the things of God and Christianity and so on is the thought that he's silent. You know, it's captured in this kind of very uh, wonderfully expressed line that says, if I were God, I'd make myself known. Have you heard that kind of sort of sentence before? If I were God, I would make myself known. If I, if I wanted people to believe in me, if I was God and I wanted people to believe in me, then I'd come to them and I'd, I'd speak to them. I'd make myself known to them. And the assumption behind it, of course, is that God has not done enough to convince the world that he's there and believe in him. And therefore, it kind of lets us off the hook. The reason I don't have to believe and I don't feel compelled to believe and it's not my fault that I don't believe is not my fault. It's God. He's not done enough to grab me and speak to me it's not my fault it's his well in light of that thinking these verses make a massively significant claim that he has spoken he has made himself known 
You know, back in the book of Deuteronomy, one of the earlier parts of the Bible, Moses said this to the people of Israel after reflecting on all that God had done for them, giving them the Ten Commandments and giving them prophets and so on. He said these words, Has anything so great as this ever happened? Has any other people heard the voice of God? The Bible is a book which is at heart about God revealing himself. It's about revelation, that God has, has come to his world and spoken. Now this speaking of God has an important qualification. He has spoken, yes, but he's spoken in a certain place. His revelation of himself, his special revelation of himself, his speaking it is in a certain way, in a certain place. That's what these verses are saying. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways. Uh, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Do you see there's a sense in which he's limiting that the, the, what God has spoken, but he's spoken in certain ways. He is speaking in a certain place at various times. This author is locating the speaking. He is speaking, he's doing this special speaking, but his speaking is not like Star Wars. Do you remember that? Well, maybe you've gotten back into Star Wars in lockdown and so on, but and one of the kind of big things through Star Wars is that if there is a God, he's kind of like a force. And uh, the force is, is all around us. He inhabits all the bits of the world around us and you can tune into him you can he's sending a message through the kind of the air and you've got to tune into the force well of course that's a very eastern way of thinking about the, the god the gods pantheism and you'll you'll get it in um even i notice it amongst christians we do tend to kind of drift into this eastern way of thinking imagining you can you can hear god in everything no you can't he's not he doesn't inhabit things He's a person. He, he's not a simple force, an impersonal force. He's a personal being, the Bible assures us. And so when he speaks, he speaks in a particular place. Through the prophets at many times and in various ways. Through the Son. Concrete. This therefore locates his speaking in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's interesting how this author in chapter 2, have a look at chapter 2, Verse uh, 3, how shall we escape uh, if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. You see, this author realizes that God speaks at a certain place and he has gone to those who heard that speaking to hear for himself that speaking, do you see? Which means... If you want to get to know God, you need to go to the place where he is speaking, where he has spoken, just as this author did, chapter 2, verse 3. Now that's confronting. God has spoken, he's revealed himself in this book, but, but he hasn't come to us in a way that means we don't need to do anything. It's not like he's come to us in such a way that we can just sit at home or walk along the beach and he'll grab me. It's not that kind of speaking that these verses are talking about. Now what 
come back to this in a moment. It'll have a very important implication for us in just a second. He has spoken in a place, a particular place. There's the first point, he's spoken. Second, the second point is history only really has two different kinds of time. History only really has two different kinds of time. Did you see there in verse 1, in the past, and then verse 2, in these last days? He, he's saying there's only two ways to think about, there's only two kinds of time, in the past and in these last days. Now this seems like a new topic, and I'm sorry about that. It, it, it actually is very relevant. It'll be critical to notice this in a, just in a moment. But let me take you through this. Um, when we think about time, we think about all kinds of different ways of conceiving of it. Do, do you know, we break up time into centuries. So, so, you know, there's the 21st century, there's the 19th century, or we break it up into ages, the medieval, the, the dark ages, the Renaissance, and so on. We break it up into different ages and times. Um, and we, we have all kinds of different ways. This author only sees two kinds of time. The time of our forefathers, our ancestors. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors. He's talking there about his Jewish forebears before Jesus in the Old Testament. But in verse 2, these last days, they're the only two kinds of times he sees. That's it. And again, just to give you a sense of this, come with me to chapter 9. You flip across to chapter 9 and you'll see this idea reflected on as well. Um, look at verse 26. Uh, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifices himself. Uh, you'll get that, that word end is translated as culmination as well. He has come at the end of the ages. The critical idea for this author, this preacher, is that time is heading somewhere. It's not just going around and around, like it's not eastern again, like the Star Wars kind of idea. It's heading to an end point, and that end point is the time when God will tear down this current fallen, sinful, broken world and rebuild it. He'll create a new heavens and a new earth. He'll bring all of humanity before himself to judge, to, to rid the universe of evil, to, to end rebellion, to, to destroy the powers of uh, the, the demonic forces, to right every wrong, to repair the world, to free it from sickness and death, and to bring a world back united again under the proper loving lordship of God. And the expectation is that just before that end, there'll be a period of time called the last days. The last age, the last few hours, a period of great urgency just near the end. Let me give you a sporting illustration. <clears throat> you know, uh, in sports, you know, football, soccer, these kinds of games, you've only got two kinds of time. You've got ordinary time and then you've got extra time you know ordinary time is 80 minutes of game time extra time is that time that happens if it's the game is tired and you go into extra time and it's a different kind of time it's the very last time there's no other time beyond this time it's the last gasp time there's urgency about it 
Well, that's what this preacher means, verse 2, by these last days. They're the extra time. They're the, the, th the world should have ended with the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's when the end should have come. But God has stretched out that moment to give us a period of opportunity to, to, to come back before the end does come. He's, he's holding the end off in these last days. It's one final time to hear what God has spoken to find forgiveness and salvation in Jesus. The point, in light of the great end, the end that will come one day, there's only two kinds of time. It's not dark ages, renaissance. It's not, it's not 20th century, 1st century. It's before Jesus, B.C., and in the year of Jesus, the last days, A.D. That's an extraordinary thing to say, and I'd suggest the evidence for this is in the resurrection of Jesus. If Jesus did rise again from the grave and usher in the last days, then it all hangs on whether that, that event really happened. You see, the first two points, God has spoken. Second point, there's only two kinds of time given the end and the death and resurrection of Jesus. There's ordinary time up until Jesus and then there's the last days, our days, the days we're living in. Third, and now the big thing. This is where it all comes together, I trust. God has spoken and he has spoken in each of those times differently. Now, it's the same God who speaks in both of them. God has spoken in the past and he has spoken in these last days. The same God who speaks. They're not different gods. But the way he has spoken is quite different between the way, verse 1, he spoke to our ancestors, the forefathers, the Jews before Jesus, and the way he has spoken in these last days to everyone who lives in these last days, to us. The way he has spoken is different. Notice the language because there's a contrast being drawn here. You see, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways. But, verse 2, but in these last days, what do you expect? The way God speaks in the last days is going to be contrasted with the way he spoke previously. That's what's going on here. How is it contrasted? Well, he is making a massively important point that hangs on noticing the differences, the way of speaking that's being contrasted. How did he speak in the past? Well, he spoke through the prophets at many times and in various ways. Now, that word many times can be translated as um, bits and pieces. <clears throat> A bit here, a bit there, piecemeal, in various ways, different ways. That through <clears throat> prophetic word, through vision, through writing on the wall, through a donkey who speaks, and all kinds of um, things that God used to speak his word. But the point being made is that in the past, he spoke in all kinds of different ways, bits and pieces here and there. A little like the way we speak when we bump into someone. 
you know, if you're a commuter and you bump into someone at the train station, you, you know, in passing, you say g'day, you might share some, a quick thought. But it's a bit here, a bit there, day by day, a little piece here and there. It's a very different kind of way than speak, of speaking than when you have someone around for a meal and you actually can now share. Well, that's what he's saying of the past. In the past, God spoke a bit here, a bit there, piecemeal, in different ways. Verse 2, but in these last days, the days we're in, he has spoken to us by his son. He has spoken. Spoken is the idea of he has said it and it remains said. He has spoken in a deep and abiding way. It's no longer a bit here, a bit there, piecemeal. It's by his son, which you anticipate means the point he is making is it's full. It's complete. It's final. And verses, the end of verse 2 and 3 and 4 make that exactly clear. You see, the point is obvious that this final word of God in his son is complete and full and fulfilled when you take notice of what he says about his son. Verse 2, in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. Now notice what he says about his son. Whom he appointed heir of all things. Through whom he also made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in, ev in heaven and so became superior to the angels. We'll look at the angels next week. But what I want you to see is this. When you see what he says about the sun, it reinforces the idea that this last word is the final word because of who it is that is the word that is spoken now each of those bits demand a sermon on their own can't believe this preacher just drops these things out like this you could spend hours just reflecting on each of those pieces and what they mean i'm going to spend two lines on each so forgive me but let me he is the heir of all things the son is the reason for creation Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 and 16 he is the one by whom and for whom all things were made he's the heir he's the one that owns you that will inherit you he's the one through whom all things are created he's the agent of creation God creates but creates through the son this is taking us into deep things, deep things about the nature of God. He is, the, verse 3, the radiance of God's glory. He's the, wow, in older languages, the, the effulgence of the glory of God. It's a beautiful piece of language which captures this idea of he's the, he's the, he's the glow of God. Do you know the sun exists? It's a, it's a thing. But I only see it by the emanation of its radiance and its glow and its heat. Well, what's being said here by this preacher is that God exists. God is there. 
but only I, the way I see him and know him is through the, the radiance of his glory, Jesus. The sun is the glow of God, is the glory of God, is the brilliance of the sun. Um, he is the exact representation of his being in the same way that the, the glow of the sun is the sun. It's not of a different nature and kind to this. It is the sun. And what you see there is seeing this. That's what is being said here about God in the sun. S-O-N. You see God in the sun. He is the effulgence of the glory. He is the exact nature and the same representation of, the, of God. He is the one who sustains all things by his powerful word. He upholds the universe by his words. Now, this is all astonishing, deep things into the being of God himself. Who is Jesus? Who is God? Do, do, do you know, what you, you find this author saying is that Jesus is everything that God is, walking the streets of Palestine. He, he is, when you meet Jesus, the Son, you meet the exact representation, the effulgence of the glory of God. You meet the one who is the agent of creation, who upholds the universe by his word of power. Now, what does that mean about God then? Because doesn't he pray to the Father and won't he sit down at the majesty, at the right hand of the majesty on high? Are there two gods? No, 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 no. There's one God and there's a richness to who God is. And we know this by the word Trinity. It's the fullness of God that reveals himself to us in Father, Son and Spirit. Not three gods, but one God in three persons of one being with each other. It is complex and rich to engage with and that's what these verses drive you to reflect on. And just a quick thought there, you might find yourself going, well, that's just all too much. But I've always found it hugely helpful to reflect on the fact that I can't understand the planet I'm living on. Just science keeps showing me that the, the universe I live in is highly complex and beyond my comprehension. Is it any surprise that the God who made this universe is himself beyond my comprehension? I think this is one of the evidences that shows that we're in touch with not a man-made religion, because if we made up God, we'd make him do a very easy to understand. We're in touch with a revealed God speaking to us truth about himself beyond our comprehension and lastly there he he's the one who comes and does something he provides purification for sin he sits down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven he, he fulfills all the old testament expectations and hopes of sin being dealt with we're going to be looking at this in weeks to come how can you deal with sin how does jesus do it how does that relate to the old testament sacrificial system but whatever jesus comes and sits down he's finished it's done you know what this author shows us is the wonder glory and greatness of the son jesus who was and is he expands our sense of god who god is and the point the preacher's making is this god spoke in the past bits and pieces but he has spoken to us in these last days the days before the final end the days of great urgency he has spoken to us in these last days his fullest 
most glorious, most complete and wonderful word that can be spoken, his son. The Jesus event. The coming of the son of God into our world in the person of Jesus 2,000 years ago. His life, his teachings, his actions, his death, his resurrection. This is God speaking to his world in the last days. That event is his word to us. The point, given who God's last word was and is, if, if God's last word, if God's word in these last days is this one, there's no greater word can ever be spoken to humanity. What more can God have to say? You see, Jesus wasn't just a prophet. He wasn't just a messenger from God. He is the exact being of God. He's the effulgence of the glory, the radiance of the glory of God. He, he is the one who upholds everything. He is the son of God. Something new has happened in human history. God has given his fullest, final, complete word. Jesus. Now, I know lots of different people uh, listen in to these things and uh, it's wonderful that um, we have this opportunity over this period and I hope you find it helpful kind of exploring what the Bible's saying. Um, many of you may still be checking things out, the things of Jesus. Can I offer this thought for you? You may at this point not really know what to make of this Jesus, but can I urge you to appreciate what is actually being claimed about Jesus? Within a few years of his death and resurrection, we're still talking in the early decades. Within a few years of Jesus' death, life, death and resurrection, this is what people were saying about that man. That he is the exact representation of the being of God. The radiance of his glory, the shine of God's glory among us. The fullness of who God is. Within a few decades of this event, people were saying these things about Jesus. Long before there was time for legend to have grown up. I mean, legends take centuries. This was a few years. Long before the eyewitnesses had died out. Chapter 2, verse 3, you see. He, he went and spoke, verse 3, to the ones who actually heard this Jesus speak. And they were saying this of Jesus. Jesus' brothers were persuaded. Now, if you know how hard it is to make a brother think highly of you, you'll know the extraordinary miracle that that is. And each of these people, these witnesses, died saying, this Jesus was this person. Whatever you make of this at the moment, can I say something happened back then? Now, I'm persuaded that what happened is exactly what the Bible says happened. But can I urge you to at least notice that something happened that has changed our world? That every continent on the planet is full of people who are convinced of these things as well. Our Western civilization is shaped by this person. The years we live in, AD, something happened. Take a look if you haven't already. Because this is God's last word.
to us, his great word, his fullest word. God has spoken. We want him to be clear. He couldn't be any clearer. And here's the challenge for us, you see. Do, do we want to find out what he has to say? We do use that line that I'd believe if he'd only just be clearer. If he, if he wanted people to believe, why doesn't he? Well, he is saying he's made himself crystal clear in the person of Jesus. And there is a, something of a test here for us. And I, look, I want to not be rude in this. I want to take great care in what I'm going to say now. But um, the sincerity of your uh, claim that, yes, you'd believe if only he make himself clearer. It's his, the sincerity of that is demonstrated by whether you're ready to go and find out what he has said, where he says he's said it. Do you see? God has come to us and spoken to us, but not in such a way that he chases us around and makes us believe. No, no, no. He's come to us and spoken to us in the fullest possible way. And he says, it's up to you now. How much do you actually want to know me? Where do you go to find out this spoken word? Word to chapter 2, verse 3. You go to those who heard him recorded for us in the new testament you go there let me apply it a little more we've got a few more minutes left the original preacher had his own application i want to get there in a second but i just want to do make some applications for us along the way um, god has spoken he has spoken in his son in the event of jesus's life death and resurrection and the words that record that event for us that's where god has spoken can I encourage you to beware or, or warn you about being aware of the danger of learning styles? Back in the 70s and 80s, there was a very popular idea that people have different learning styles. If you were, if you were a teacher educated back through the 70s and 80s, um, you would have picked this up that people, um, you know, some people are very verbal, some people are oral, some people kind of learn by writing, some people learn visually, uh, so some people learn with music. We have all different ways of learning and there was a whole move and a mood that we ought to create the classroom context which pays attention to different learning styles instead of just the one way and so on. It was very popular back then. It's fall, if, you were, if you were educated back through there, you may not be aware, it's fallen out of favour very largely these days. There's um, a whole lot more research around learning styles and their validity and so on. Um, but the thing for us is this. God has chosen a particular way to speak to us, to make himself known. In the past, he's spoken a certain way. In these last days, not just the first century, but in these days that last until the very end, these last days, he has spoken to us in a particular way in the person of his son, Jesus, recorded for us in the New Testament. Fundamental. If we are going to get to know God and grow in God, we've got to learn his language of speaking and not require him to fit into my learning style. We've got to come to him on his terms. You know, you, you, you meet a girl and fall in love and she's, she's Italian. And her heart language is Italian. And you love her, you want to know her. What would you do? You learn her language. Now God is not just another girl. 
God is the God of the universe who stoops and comes to us and speaks to us in his son. But he doesn't chase us. He calls on us now to come to him, his way. You cannot hear the word that he has spoken except in the words recorded of the son. There's no other way to meet the son except in the words written about the son. Can I encourage you to see the need to learn his language? You know, there's a great horror that happens where groups sit around, and I've experienced this, where groups have sat around and prayed that God might now speak to us, but they've done that with their Bibles shut in their laps. God, speak to us. And you want to cry and say, he has, just open it. <laughs> Let him speak, he's speaking here. Listen to him where he's spoken. Let me give you another point of application for us. Jesus' word is not just another religion, another prophet among many. And this moves us very much closer to the preacher's point. You can't just move in and out of Jesus as if whatever religion works for you it will be okay. That's the very point the author is making. To Jewish listeners, actually, who, who came out of Judaism into Christianity and were so battered as Christians they were going back into Judaism and the, and the writer is saying the preacher is saying to them don't go back Jesus is God's final word it's his complete word it's his full it's the word that all of that the Jewish was looking forward to don't go back Jesus is not just one more word do you know Christians are often perceived to be narrow at least an older style Christian was perceived to be narrow often seen to be saying that their religion is true and others are false, often perceived to have a very exclusive idea about the Christian faith, that it's the way and there is no other. In our day's culture, that's a horrible thing to do. It breaks one of the fundamental rules of culture to claim that you're right and others are wrong, except unless you say everyone's right and your view is right that everyone's right, then you're okay to say you're right and everyone's wrong. But putting that aside, here's the thing. Christians are bound over to be exclusive in our claims. That there is only way, one way, the Jesus way. Not because we're arrogant. Not because we're bigoted. But because we're persuaded of who Jesus is. If Jesus is who this preacher says he is, if he is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, what's being said about Jesus is said of no other human on the planet. If Jesus is who this man says he is, then there is no other way. There is no other word. That's the point. This preacher is making the point that if you walk away from this word, the word of Jesus, God's fullest, complete, final word, the only word in the end, if you walk away, there's, no other, there's nowhere else to go. There's no other place to find God. If you ignore him who spoke from earth, how great, terrible. If you ignore him who speaks from heaven, that is the point of this author. Friends, let me finish by saying this. This book is going to be confronting and compelling. It'll be confronting because it's very serious what it talks about. Everything's at stake in the person of Jesus. This is not a game. This is not just something people, some people are into 
God, he is there, he has spoken, and the word he has spoken is his fullest, final word to humanity in these last days. There's an urgency to receive this word. This is confronting. Will you go to hear this word? This is our only hope to know this God. It's confronting, but it's also compelling, deeply compelling. Because this word he has spoken is the most astonishing wonderful rich deep profound life-changing word that you can ever hear it's wonderfully compelling now these things are so vast and so great how about we commit ourselves to god in prayer that we might understand them more fully let me do that for us now heavenly father we do ask please that you might help us appreciate that you have spoken that you have spoken in these last days. There's no other word to be spoken because the word you have spoken is your very being, the Son. Heavenly Father, please help us appreciate the depth and richness and profundity of that word. Help us appreciate there's nowhere else to go. Help us be compelled, therefore, to stick with this word, to deepen ourselves in this word. And even to come to this word, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name that you might keep us. Amen.